Hi friend, I'm Tanya Gill. Welcome to Lighten Up and Unstuck Your What the Fuck. Together, we explore the ways through life's stickiest moments and how to live with more peace, joy, love, and gratitude. We're going to talk honestly about what isn't easy so you can discover the light within you that will carry you forward. My friend, this podcast is about you in real life, your body, mind, and soul, and the opportunity to not only live your best, but shine doing it. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Lighten Up and Unstuck Your What the Fuck. I am excited to share my friend Candace with you. Candace Platter is the founder of Love With Boundaries, and she works in the area of family addictions counseling and therapy. What is incredible about Candace is the what the fuck that brought her to this place. Candace, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Thanks, Tana. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Hi, everyone. It is so wonderful to be able to share space with you, Candace, because when we connected last time, it's almost as if it was meant not to have recorded properly because we were really racing a clock. And this time I feel like we can have a really great conversation about what it means to love with boundaries. But before we go there, how did you come to this place of love with boundaries and what was your own personal experience? Uh. Oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> it's a long story, so I'll, I'll nutshell it for you. Um, it started in the early 70s when I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, which is a really painful, debilitating, unpredictable, embarrassing, horrible disease to have. And uh, when I was, I'm a lot better now, I just want to say that because I've learned how to take care of myself, but it's, a, it's one of those incurable conditions. Um, I can't get rid of it. At least I haven't found a way to do that. Mm. Um, But at the time when I was diagnosed, the doctors didn't know what to do for me because it was a pretty new disease and um, there weren't medications for it, you know. So when I, so when I first presented to the doctors, what they decided to do was throw a lot of addictive medication at me, like like Valium, like benzodiazepines and opioids like codeine and Demerol and and Oxycontin and morphine and you name it. I had it. I could get more of it over and over and over again. And that's what I did because it made me feel better. And I smoked a lot more pot as well at that point. Loved the feeling of it. I'm an addict. Loved being high, you know. Um, And so, but the problem with those substances is that they're all depressants in the system in the human system so you fast forward about 15 years and um i was an opioid addict for 15 years without even knowing that i was because opio because addiction wasn't on the radar at that point so we weren't talking about it i had no idea what was going on but because of the depressant quality of those substances i became idol and I didn't think I wanted to live anymore and that was that was probably the first my first big what the fuck moment in terms of you know I mean having Crohn's was a what the fuck moment every day several times a day but 
when I got to that place, it was, um, and I knew I had enough pills to do the job and I knew I could time it so that nobody would find me in time. And so I had a plan and I had opportunity and I had the drugs and it scared me. So one day I really was thinking about it, thinking, I think I'm going to do this because I just can't, I just can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. But clearly I'm still here. So what I did instead was I picked up the phone and I called the crisis line here in Vancouver and somebody there saved my life just by listening to me and respecting me and hearing my pain and, you know, guiding me in the right direction. So I, I was, um, I was encouraged to sign myself into a psych ward at the hospital, one of the hospitals here. And that's what I did. And I was there for about four weeks got some of the counseling I needed. I didn't have access to my pills. You know, I was safe. And while I was there, I met some people who were also trying to stay off alcohol and drugs, and they were going to Narcotics Anonymous meetings across the street every day. So I started going with them to those meetings. I just sit there and wail and cry. People would tell me to keep coming back. So I kept coming back. Um, But last week on the 18th of July, I don't know when this will era but uh, I celebrated 35 years clean and sober oh my god so congratulations yeah. Candace congratulations Thank you. yeah it's a big deal yeah. you know it's a really I, big deal I really honor Candace that in addition to those 35 years that it's not like you went out seeking these drugs intentionally to get yourself addicted Mm-mm. right yeah. and and, and these were drugs that were intended to actually, you know, the intention behind them, especially initially, was to help you try to manage and be able to get through life and, and without pain and those things. And of course, what That's we know right. now about those opioid drugs is not what we knew then either. Um, but I, I no, and the, you know, in the doctor's defense, in the early 70s, addiction was not on the radar. They didn't know what they were unleashing upon me at the time. But the, but the real problem is that the doctors now know and they're still doing this. So that's another, that's another conversation we can have sometime. You know, it's like, don't get me started because what the fuck is that about? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of people are making a lot of money by keeping people addicted. And I, I get very angry about that. And so absolutely, there's a whole economic conversation that we can have. There's a social conversation. There's so many conversations that can be had about addiction. But where I really want to hone in is is around how you arrived to, to be the founder of Love With Boundaries and, and who do you help and how? Mm, I love talking about that. I Thank you. So about three years into my recovery, um, I had been doing other work before that, but I made a decision that I wanted to work in the addiction field and give back some of what I had gotten, some of the help. And um, so we have a, an area, uh, I'm in private practice in Vancouver, Canada. And I, um, I know you're in Canada too, but some people listening might not know. We have Vancouver, Washington right below us as well. Um, Vancouver is just an amazing place. I love it so much. And 
we have an area here called the downtown east side and that's where i found a job was in the downtown east side and that's the lowest income area of canada that's where most of the addicts and alcoholics are people with with in in, in who are practicing addicts um many people with mental health issues, homelessness, that kind of thing. So I worked there as an addiction counselor for 16 years and uh, saw things, got an education that I couldn't have gotten anywhere else. I loved it. I really loved it. And while I was working with the addicts and alcoholics there, um, the, their families started to call me. Yeah. I didn't go out seeking this. They started calling me. I guess maybe their loved ones had said, oh, I'm seeing this counselor, Candace, you know, so they call Candace. And it's like, we are at the end of our rope. We don't know what to do. We're so frustrated. We love them. We hate them. We, we can't stand them. We love them. We want to help them. We don't know what to do. And I had no idea what to tell them. <laughs> there wasn't any education about this. Nobody was doing that kind of work at that point. So I just said, okay, come on in. And the more families I saw, the more I heard, the more um, I heard the patterns. I could see the patterns of what they were doing with the addicts they loved so much. And they were doing a lot of the wrong things that weren't going to help the addict, was so going to keep them about, stuck in addiction. Yeah, let's talk about some of these patterns. What are some of the patterns that people would, that you were consistently seeing? Yeah. Well, you know, we, I kind of umbrella them now and I call them enabling. It's a buzzword in the addiction field, but I have, I really like simple definitions. Yeah. So my simple definition for enabling is when you do something for somebody else that they can and actually should be doing for themselves. And if you don't allow them to do it for themselves, they don't learn their own resiliency. They don't. They don't grow up, they stay, they stay stuck where they are. Um, so different kinds of enablers, all kinds of ways to enable. I mean, our government enables, there's so many ways to enable, but the classic ones are things like giving money to an addict. When you know where that money's gonna go, it's gonna go in their arm, up their nose, drink it down, you know. Um, some people let their addicts live at home not pay any rent, bring drugs and alcohol into the house, kind of party all night, sleep all day, not contribute to the household at all. Somebody else does their laundry. Somebody else cooks their meals. They get angry. They punch holes in the walls. They're allowed to do that. You know, those are all kinds of enabling behaviors. And the reason that happens is a couple of reasons. One is that the families just don't know what else to do. Yeah. They, they love their, they remember when they were an addict and they love that person so much. They don't particularly like the behaviors now, but they love them and, they, and they're so scared they're gonna die out there, which many of them do, unfortunately. Um, so they keep them where they can see them. Some people drive their addict to the dealer. I guess you don't have to really do that anymore. You can just call and get it delivered. But they allow that kind of thing because at least they know where the addict is. They're right under your nose. But that's not, it's just not a good way to deal with it because the addict stays stuck in what they're doing. They have no incentive. An enabled addict does not recover 
because why should they? <laughs> why should I do anything for myself, especially if it's going to be hard, if you're going to do everything for me? So the other reason that people enable, and this is a hard one to wrap your head around. So if you're listening and you're the loved one of somebody in addiction, I say it with all respect because I too am a recovering people pleaser, but many family members are people pleasers. And what that really means is that they just hate conflict. Conflict, yeah. They do anything to not have to have conflict. So they don't want to make the, ad the addict angry because when the addict doesn't get what he or she wants, they're experts at getting angry. They're experts at conflict and chaos and, you know, all that stuff. Give me what I want and give it to me right now. So the love, you've got the loved ones who don't want that. You've got the addicts who know how to manipulate that. And so, Ma, I need 20 bucks. Well, mother does not want to get, or dad or whoever, I don't mean to come down on mothers, but, you know, they don't want to have the conflict. So they give them the 20 bucks. And every time that kind of thing happens, the addict stays stuck in addiction. To me, that is not a loving act. It's just not. So I work with families to help them change those behaviors into things that are more loving, that are actually helpful to get the addict out of addiction. If we stop enabling, we can stop addiction. I see it all the time. Well, and, and there are many layers to addiction. And I think that it's really important that we recognize that we have to be, we have to also recognize where that addict is in understanding their addiction as well. Um, and, and, and I want to be very clear about something. I am someone who very much supports harm reduction. And I support harm reduction from the perspective of if people are in a space where they're going to use, my God, please, please, please let it be safe, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I and 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 that harm reduction is is different from what we're talking about. Like, there's a difference be between enabling and harm reduction. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, so, and and if it, go ahead. Sorry. No, please go ahead. Do you want to talk about the difference? Well, you know, if somebody comes, we can, if somebody comes to me wanting to participate in harm reduction rather than abstinence, I will definitely start with them there. My hope for them always, therapeutically and otherwise, will be to help them stop using because that's how life gets better. Life doesn't, life can improve with harm reduction for sure. Life can keep you, harm reduction can keep you alive, you know, but they're still dependent on something and they're still hiding from something. They're still hiding from those feelings that are difficult because as soon as those come up, they're gonna use something. So for me, you know, I, I prefer to work with an abstinence model that's full of choice. Mm. It's always a choice. And if your choice is to use harm reduction as your model, then that's okay with me as long as you know as long as you can stick to that the problem the issue i have with harm reduction is that addiction has addiction is progressive and it has tolerance mm -hmm. 
in it, involved in it. And what tolerance means is that you need more as time goes on. You need more, especially if it's a substance, but even a behavior, you need more of the same thing to get the hit that you want, to right. get the buzz you want, to get the hit that you want. So, you know, I've seen people try to control their drinking, try to control their, their using, try to control their shopping addiction, try to control how much porn they watch. And it usually works for a little while. It works for a minute, you know, minute and a half. And then they need more. You know, this much porn isn't enough for me. I want to watch porn for three hours every day instead of an hour and a half. <laughs> so, you know, it just develops into full-blown addiction often with right. harm reduction. So it's not like people stay in harm reduction for a long period of time. They don't usually. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I understand what you're saying. And I, I support people to start wherever they start and to do better than they've been doing in terms of self-harm and to move it along so that they don't have to be addicted. That's, and that's always where I'm trying to go. Right. And that's a really important piece of this though. Like it is like, and then this is where I want to say like that enabling piece can kind of get very, very gray, right? If your addict, you know, is going to go and use, and they will either go and use in the streets with a friend, or they will go to a safe consumption site. If you have them, it becomes a question around, is this harms reduction or is this enabling or is this both? And, and I think that that is really very, very individual in what it is in and of itself. But what we're talking about is the awareness that comes around. If you have an addict in your life, are you enabling them because of a fear of them? Because it's easier than dealing with the situation, whatever. When yeah. someone comes to you, Candace, and says, this addict is in my life and I'm terrified that they're going to lose their mind if I start putting up boundaries. What do you say to them? Well, you know, if you don't, what I would say is if you don't start putting up boundaries, they're probably going to lose their mind anyway. So, you know, we, we don't have to go from zero to 150 in a split second. There are all kinds of boundaries that can be set before you say, you're out of here. This is, this is something that people misunderstand a lot. Well, I don't want to set boundaries. I can't kick them out. I can't kick them out. Well, we're not there yet. We're not there at a place of kicking them out yet, unless we are. There are other things that we can do first in terms of setting boundaries, having consequences that matter to the addict. For example, um, honey, I'm not going to be doing your laundry anymore. I'm going to show you how to do the laundry. I'm going to teach you how to do your laundry, and then it's up to you to do it. And if you don't do it, your clothes will be dirty. So that's the boundary. That's the consequence. If that consequence, I'm making, I'm really simplifying it here. But totally. if that consequence, yeah. if, if that consequence matters to the person, I don't want to always be in dirty clothes. I want to be able to have clean clothes. If that matters to the person, they're going to pay attention when you teach them how to use the laundry. If it doesn't matter to them, then they're going to be stinking up your house with their laundry and their dirty clothes every time they're around you, like Pigpen from Charlie Brown, right? Yeah. So then you may have another boundary to set, which might be, honey, you smell, you know, 
you're in a community of family here and you need to have a shower and you need to go do your laundry. And if they don't do their laundry, then the boundary has to be set with a consequence that's gonna matter to the addict because addicts don't like to change. They wanna keep it the way it is and they want you to keep it the way it is. They have an investment in you as the family member continuing to enable them. They want you to continue to enable them, except that they really don't. What they really want is for you to love them enough to do what's right for them and let them know that this is from a place of love. You love them enough to say no. You love them enough to say no. Yep. And, yeah. and you're willing and you're willing to put up with, you know, the anger because they're going to, I mean, that, I think it says this in the big book of Narcotics Anonymous, the basic types of Narcotics Anonymous that no is a word that addicts, it's the one word that addicts hate to hear the most. Hmm. It's the one word that addicts hate to hear the most. Yeah. And so love with boundaries is really about love with love right love with boundaries yes because if we're not loving with boundaries then we're not we're not dealing with that person with our own self-respect our self-respect is taking a hit if we don't have boundaries with people who are bulldozing over us and self-respect to me it is the most important thing that we either have or don't have. And we can't go down to the corner and buy it at the 7-Eleven. And I cannot give you yours and you cannot give me mine. It's an inside job that each of us needs to do. Right? And if we don't do it, we can't trust ourselves. We can't respect ourselves. We don't know who we are. It's so important. And when there aren't boundaries in a relationship, especially one that's teetering on abusive, you know, it's, it's unhealthy and it's not going very well. And I think as, as loved ones, and I've seen this time and again in um, different situations um, with clients that I've, I've had over the years that, that sometimes that addiction kind of seems to just seep in and people don't even realize what it is until it feels like it's destroying things. Yeah. And, and then the person who all of a sudden wants to, for example, step in and love with boundaries is like, but it's all my fault. Like I let this happen. And, and I understand that that can be a piece of this. And and, and what do you say to someone who then all of a sudden turns it into to their problem? It's their fault that they- Their shame and their guilt, yeah. Ah. Yeah. Well, what I like to tell people is that you didn't cause the addiction. I don't care what the addiction is. I don't care who the person is. I don't care what you've done or not done. You have not caused the addiction. And the reason you haven't is because the addict is making a choice to stay in addiction. Addicts, I can tell you as an addict myself, we don't, we don't choose to become addicts. Nobody says, to the, I don't think anybody says to themselves, gee, I think I'll be an addict. That'll be fun. You know, nobody says that. But right. like you say, as it progresses, as it, you know, we find ourselves in this place of, oh my God, my life's a mess. It's horrible. 
I don't know what to do. I, I'm, and I don't want to feel this, so I'll just use some more. And that's how that's how it goes, right? Um, and it's a choice that people make. The, the way that I became 35 years clean and sober is because I made the choice every day to not use drugs. Whether you see it as a disease or you see it as a genetic predisposition or you see it as anything, anything, underneath all of that, it's a choice to either use or not use every day, every nanosecond of the day yeah. for a while until, and every addict who's in recovery from anything knows that's true. And so it's for the someone, only way we recover. Right. And, and right. so for someone who, who knows those that are either in addiction or, or are addicts, but have not used for whatever length of time, I think it's really important that we revisit that that is their choice and that it's really important to celebrate every single day that an addict is not using. So again, I want to come back to Candace. congratulations. And mm, uh, from my you. understanding in AA, they call it happy birthday. Um, yeah. But, you know, happy, happy 35th birthday, because that's, that is beautiful. And, yeah. and, and every day a choice. Well, what I know, because I've been around in recovery for a long time, and I've seen other people make different choices who've been around in recovery for a long time, is that if I don't take care of myself holistically all the time, you know, I've got to be careful, because I could relapse just, I could make the choice, the choice to relapse, I could make that choice, just like anybody else does. If I'm not working on myself, if I'm not sharing what I need to share, if I'm not proud of myself and grateful and appreciative and all those things. So I do that every day because I don't want to go back to the psych ward. I don't want to go back to that life. I don't want, I love the life I have today. I never, ever thought that would ever happen. And, and, and just so we're clear, it does not mean that you've been cured of Crohn's. Let, let, so let's revisit no. that. You have not been cured of Crohn's. No. Um, no. And, um, and it, I, I do know it to be a debilitating disease because of my own personal relationship with it secondarily. And, and I'm sorry yeah. for that as well, my friend. But yeah. what I, I find so interesting is you talk about as an addict, how critical it is for you to take care of yourself and to be really intentional about how you are caring for yourself and truly loving who you are every day. And well, I think I start with liking myself and then well, kind of try to move into love. Start, sister. <laughs> but, yeah. but but here's the thing the choice not to use whatever that is, whatever the thing mm -hmm. is, whatever the vice yep. addiction, whatever it is, is an act. Whatever, whatever's going to take me away from myself. Right. Whatever. Whatever's going to take me away from myself. From yourself. Whatever's yeah. going, the choice not to use whatever's going to take you away from yourself is an act of love. And in, and in the work that you do with family members, with love, with boundaries, Yep. It's also the act of love 
uh, as a person with an addict in their life in being able to tap into themselves, take care of themselves and do what that addict needs to be doing to stay healthy so that they can exactly love with boundaries as well. Exactly. And to take that just a step further, two things. If you want your addict to change and everybody does and you're not willing to change, not only is that not fair, it won't work. So when you want your addict to change and live life in a different way and do things differently, the thing with loved ones is that they need to make their changes usually first. Because if you're enabling an addict, they're just going to stay enabled for as long as they possibly can, be as manipulative as they can so they can keep getting that enablement. Did I just make up a word? Sure. Um, I'm having a picture. I'm picturing it's like, the adult has to, to make the changes because the child, in this case, the addict, the one who's compromised, right. however you want to look at it, doesn't have the ability to, to start the ball rolling. So the adult has to model it. The adult, yes. using adult, yes. the healthiest person in the relationship. That's right. That's right. Model it has to say, they have to say, I love you so much that I'm not willing to support you in active addiction. I can't watch this anymore. I won't watch this anymore. I love you so much. It tears my heart out. Many addicts don't know. They're so self-absorbed. They don't know that other people are struggling around them. But right. I, I love you so much that I am not willing to support you in active addiction anymore because I don't want you to be in that life. But I will support active, addict, active recovery. So when you're ready to be in recovery and you really are, then let me know. And I will be there in every way that I can. Oh my God. But I love you enough to say no to you. I nope. love you enough to say no. And I love me enough to say no. And I respect myself enough to say no to you. Mm. Yes. And sometimes there's That's work exactly that right in that world before you're ready to start those boundaries with that loved one potentially can you say the first part again sometimes what oh i was going to i I said it sometimes i think that those family members you know need to have have some real reflection into where they are themselves first that's exactly right that's why i do what i do Yeah. yeah yeah and you know having that opportunity to work with you then bridges that that individual healing with the boundaries, the love with boundaries to support yeah. and yeah. add in active. And, and, I, and I just want to add too, you know, you were asking about the loved ones who feel so much shame and think that it's their fault and they caused it. Um, so they, the real reason that you didn't cause it, and I don't, most families are so loving. There are some families that aren't and, you know, they do things that aren't so good. But the real reason that no matter what you've done or haven't done, hasn't caused the addict's addiction is because addiction is ultimately a choice that the addict makes, staying in addiction, continuing to use the addiction. We cannot make another person's choices for them. It's not how this planet runs. You know, I'm not making up the rules. I'm not saying, well, this is how it is. It's just how it is, Yeah. you know? So you can't make an addict an addict. You can't make them be addicted and you can't make them recover. 
that you can start changing what you're doing, make it a little more uncomfortable for the addict to stay in active addiction. You make it comfortable for an addict to be in addiction. Why should they ever move out of that? How is that helpful? How is that loving for the person that's addicted? But you didn't cause it. There's no way you cause it. What you're doing, however, is you're contributing to keeping it going. That's what you're doing. But you didn't cause it, and it's not your fault. And as soon as you can change some of the ways that you're contributing to it, the whole thing will change. And, and it's amazing. I'm, I'm hearing that it, it, it really can be, the beginning can be as simple as one conversation that leads to another and the, the oh, unfolding yeah. of boundaries that create kind of the container around that relationship that says we're in active recovery versus we're in addiction, right? Like just the walls yeah. are collapsed and it's a free-for-all. Um, yeah, I love the way you said that. That's exactly right. Yeah. That container, that safety, that love, that love. I don't want to watch you be in active addiction anymore. It's horrible. It's horrible for you. It's horrible for us. Yeah, yeah. Candace, this has been such an incredible conversation. If our listeners want to reach out to you, what is the best way to get in touch? All right. Um, it's pretty easy, actually, but I'll explain it. Um, my website is lovewithboundaries.com. And my team and I, um, we, uh, we offer a, a free 30-minute consultation to anyone who will fill out our questionnaire. And it's not a long, not one of those long questions. It's short, just giving us the information about what you're going through, what's happening for you. So the link for that is on the website. And once you fill that out and you send it to us, as soon as we get it, because we know that addiction does not wait. Right? So as soon as we get it, I have a wonderful, wonderful intake worker. She is so warm and beautiful. Um, she will get in touch with you right away, right away to set up this call, this Zoom call, this free consultation so she she assesses you know what you're going through she tells you what we can do for you if it's a fit we go forward if it isn't a fit there's no obligation for you to work with us because you've had the consultation no strings attached at all and so you know you can reach out to us and get some help immediately thank you Kim. you don't have to deal with this anymore and um I mean, it's a process. It's not like, bang, it's going to all go away. But if you don't reach out, if nothing changes, nothing changes. And that's the tagline on my website. And another way to say that is that if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always gotten. So if you're ready to make a change, if you're ready to see, even if you don't feel ready to make a change, but you think you want to make a change, it, reach out to us. Let's talk about it. Let's see what we can help you. Because we're not going to say to you, if you come to us, we're not going to say to you, okay, you have to kick your addict out of the house. That isn't how we work at all. Right? We're going to work with you. Every family is different. We're going to work with you to see what you're willing to do and what you're willing to say and how we'll help you language it. And, and when 
people um, go forward with us and they start working with us, we offer um, we offer unlimited, basically, email, uh, email and text support to wow. our clients. I don't know of anybody else who's doing that. Wow. So, so if if something comes up, if something urgent comes up, you don't know how to deal with it. Your session isn't until next Tuesday, and it's Thursday, and you need help. You text us, you email us, your counselor will get back to you right away as soon as possible and help you through it. So we hold your hand through this process. It isn't easy, but it isn't easy to live the way you've been living either. So it's about making a choice about, am I willing to learn how to do some things differently so that I can have a better life, my addict can have a better life, and the family so, can maybe go on holiday together, have and, Christmas. Right. And when, and when people reach out to you, they, you know, they can have a conversation about change readiness for themselves and the people in their lives. And, and That's in that right. conversation, you know, find out, you know, how, how they may be able to help and then how you may be able to help them. And I'm so exactly. grateful that you are in the world, Candace, and, you know, oh. help people have a voice. <laughs> To support, because it's very, I know, I know, I've known very, I've known very far too many people who have, yep. who have been loved ones of people in deep and dangerous addictions. And, um, yep. and, and, you know, there is a lot of focus on the addict. Um, and, and, yep. and it's very hard. And not, a, not, a, not in a good way. Right, exactly. And it's often very judgmental. And instead, yeah. you know, what you offer is this, this space of really, truly it coming from that place of love. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be hard. It doesn't mean it's not going to be sticky. It doesn't mean there's not going to be a bunch of what the fucks. But as you continue to move forward, it can unstuck. Right. And that's really beautiful. Yeah. Candace, thank you so much for this conversation. You are a gift. Mm. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. To our listeners, to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Candace, any closing words for our, for our friends? You know, I haven't told people that, um, that I'd written a book that might help them as well. If they want to read the book before they reach out or after whatever, yeah. um, the book is, is called Loving an Addict, Loving Yourself, the top 10 survival tips for loving someone with an addiction. It's one USA and international book awards, which surprised the hell out of me because I was an addict and I didn't think anything like that would ever happen to me. But a lot of people get a lot of help from my book. So I want to just let people know it's available and it's on Amazon in any country that has Amazon. Amazing. Yeah. But sure. the closing words that I would like to say would be, please don't give up. Don't ever give up. You know, this can be stopped. This can be changed. I promise you it can be. I see it all the time. I'm living proof of it. So if you need help, we are here to help you. We are wanting to help you. We are waiting to hear from you. We're here. Amazing. Thank you so much. Do not give up my friends. Candice, you are wonderful. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. And to our listeners, next week, 
another amazing podcast. We'll see you then. Mwah! Thanks for joining me today, my friend. If you're struggling through your own what the F moments and are ready for a more heart-centered and loving way forward, it is within you. It's time for a self-love adventure. Head on over to perfectlyimperfect.wtf for everything you need, including an amazing community, the collective. Beautiful humans on the same self-love adventure. If what you heard today spoke to you, please leave some love with a review. And don't forget to share this with a friend or 10. I hope to see you on the inside.